verse 1. So some men came down from Judea. Most commentaries say perhaps from James, who was a leader in that area, perhaps maybe sent these guys. We don't know. But these are some men, and they have faith, and they have an understanding of Judaism. We know that much about them. These guys came down, and they were teaching. Didasco, where we get didactic, or it's a teaching of beliefs. It's a doctrine. They are now indoctrinating or teaching something. All right? What was Paul and Barnabas doing all over their trip? They were what? Teaching doctrine. They were preaching the gospel, the word of God. And now here comes these other guys, and they're teaching as well, but they're teaching something very different. Look close. It says they're teaching the brothers. So they're talking to believers, Christians, perhaps newborn Christians. Unless you are, what's the word? Circumcised, to cut, clip, around the kind. It is a right practice of, from God's people from Genesis 17. Abraham to Moses. Like I said in observation time, the Jews prided a lot in this custom. Not because it was fun, but because it was a serious sign that they were the holy chosen people. It was a sign of their citizenship. It was such a prideful thing that even Paul in his letters, he says, Bro, I was an eighth dayer. I got circumcised on the eighth day. My circumcision was so legit, it was to the T. That's who I am. And he said at one time in his life, that's what his boast was. That's, that's his confidence. This is kind of the background that these men had, that when they came down, they're kind of coming with that. Maybe they had a little bit of what Brother Kaleo said about the whole like, oh, we're going to get circumcised. You're going to get circumcised. Maybe they had that. We don't know. But I just want us to understand and sit in their shoes too because we are so that. They have their bias. They have their understanding. They have their, their knowledge of righteousness. And one of the things was unless you are circumcised, bro, Oh, right on, you, you, you're, you're a Gentile and you're coming to the faith, but are you circumcised? And then they said, according to the customs of Moses. And then they drop this in the teaching, the main point. You cannot be what? Saved. They are teaching that without this work of the flesh, without this outward external deed or sign, no salvation. Just be clear on this, what they're trying to teach. It's very, very different than what Paul and Barnabas were teaching, yes? And Peter, yes? And the apostles, and Jesus, yes? Very different. Why? Why, church? Because we are saved by grace through faith. Works? No. In Christ. Christ is our confidence. Christ is our salvation. Let me read to you a little bit from Paul's letters uh, Galatians 1, 6-9, he says this, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. You see that? And then he says, not that there is one, as if it was a gospel, but it's different. He's tripping. He's like, why are you, why are you turning from grace to this? Then he says this, there are some who trouble you, and I wonder if he had in mind these men. Because he's writing to Galatia the Galatian church that's sprinkled on this region that perhaps these men were walking through and teaching. He says, there are some who trouble you and want to, big word, 
If you haven't turned there, we're in Galatians 1. I want to, they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do you see that? They want to give a different way of salvation. They want to distort the way of salvation. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven, even if we or an angel from heaven, the most spectacular messenger could show up and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be a curse. Paul is so serious about this. He says it twice. He's telling the church, and God is telling us tonight, beware of others who come preaching another gospel, as if it was. It's not a gospel. It's a false gospel. Anything outside of Christ. You don't add on to Christ. Jesus plus is nothing. Jesus is everything. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 3. Paul says in another letter to the Philippian church, Brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I write the same things to you. It's no trouble for me. And it's safe for you. Verse 2. Look out for the dogs. So in Galatia, in the Galatians church, he says people who bring a false gospel, that's trouble. And then verse 2. People who bring a false gospel, he says dogs. You kind of can sense and feel the apostles' heart in Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What do you mean mutilate the flesh? Verse 3, he's speaking of circumcision. We are the circumcision. And Brother Christian brought this up earlier. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Put no confidence in the flesh. Don't put confidence in the fact that you're circumcised or the fact that you've gone to church this much in your life or that you've given this much to the church or you've done this much charity in the community. Don't put confidence in external things. When you and I die, because we will die, and you are going to be held accountable before your creator maker, don't think in that moment you're going to bust out your circumcision and think that's going to help you. No. Don't think it, in that moment that you're going to bust out some like, oh, but I, I did this. I was in pastoral ministry for this law. Or I witnessed this much to. Don't, don't try to lift up anything in confidence. Because look at what he says later in this. He says, verse 4, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. Do you want to go there? Paul's going to be like, you want to brag about your religion? Let me tell you something about me. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I got more. Verse 5, okay, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an eighth day. I never cut the corners like some other families I know who did them like on the 18th day. They was lazy. I'm an eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I was from the tribe of Benjamin, a renowned tribe. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. I was top-notch in my class. I'm a, I was a scholar. I was tutored under the best of the best, man. I know my Bible, Paul said. And as for zeal, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I would consider myself blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, all of that list I just bragged in, all that confidence... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them, all this list that I once strived and tried so hard for. It's rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ as righteousness from God that depends on faith. Beware, church, of false gospels. If we begin to turn to other ways of salvation, we're deserting Jesus who called us into grace. We're turning to distorted teachings, wrong teachings. I believe these men had really good intentions in their heart. I actually really think maybe they were telling them this because they really wanted them to be saved and they were just in a good heart like, you got to get circumcised and you got to know all these customs. And as well intended as these men may have been, they were sincere but sincerely wrong. How do we detect or be aware of false or lies? How, how do we detect? How can we disprove? How can we make sure, okay, this is a distortion. Okay, this is messed up. This is false. You and I must, must, must know the truth. If you are not, and that's what we're going to see next, if we are not so grounded in what the true gospel is, we will make ourselves very vulnerable to every false gospel out there. And I'll be the first to admit that in my earlier years of the faith, I mean, I genuinely just, I, God give me a heart to want him. I want to know Jesus. So you give me any book that says Jesus, I would read it and just take it for what it says. And be like, this is Christianity. This is legit. This is salvation. I had no really, I didn't know how to discern I needed, to, I needed to make sure, God, by God's grace, I needed to gr get grounded and take serious. That's the next point. Take serious the doctrine of salvation. Guys, if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. If we lose this, we lose everything. Because what these guys are introducing is another means of salvation other than Christ. We're going to drip down to verse 2. It's October, and later in the month, it'll be the anniversary of the Reformation when Martin Luther pinned up that long document, that thesis on the Wittenberg door, and he said this about it because it's the same thing they're debating over tonight. He said, the doctrine of justification, or you could say the doctrine of salvation, is, is the article upon which the church stands or falls. If we miss this, we miss everything. Calvin said this doctrine is the hinge upon which everything turns. You see, the reason why Paul and Barnabas get so heated and into this is because of what the doctrine is. It's the doctrine of salvation. We could debate about a ton of things in the church. It's fine. We could debate about the color of your chairs, the AC, uh, how long you, we should have the services. We could debate about a lot of things. We could debate about politics, all sorts of things. And all those things that are second, third dairy, they're not foundational to our faith. We will practice maturity, charity, and love. We could debate those things all through the night. But then there's certain fights. There's certain hills 
Oh, you run up and die on. There are certain fights you pick. I got called out a lot from middle school to college age. I got called out a lot. I'm not going to tell you how many are, but sprinkled through my young manhood, a lot of guys wanted to pick fights with me. That probably just tells you a lot about my character. <laughs> or i just in the wrong place at the wrong time all the time. But something I learned from those years from middle school to college and all those instances of guys calling me out and wanting to scrap with me is there are some that you don't want to get in and there are some that are just, most of them are not worth it. And then there will be a time, church, when the fight comes and you need to fight. Paul and Barnabas is seeing this time is the time to debate. Why? Because it's the doctrine of salvation. Souls are on the line. This is the gospel. Things that are foundational to the Christian faith, those are the hills you run up. We need to land on the same things together here. Other things, sure, let's talk it out, learn from each other. Certain things like this, we got to take serious. Verse 2, so Paul and Barnabas, notice it says it had no small dissension. This wasn't one of those things that were just like, oh, that's, that's cool that you guys are teaching that. You're like, but come on, let's, let's break bread and just positivity. We love you. Carry on, brother. No. This is a big dissension. Dissension, standing, uproar. There's a heated disagreement on a fundamental issue of the faith. That's what's happening right now. Now, Luke doesn't give us the juicy details of, about what their rebuttal was or how, how it went down. But I did some reading, reading some of Paul's letters. And I'm going to let you know what, the debate, what I think the debate would have sounded like. But I, I, before I get into that, I want, I want us to see that Paul's and Barnabas' zeal and passion for this is we need to weigh in on the seriousness. Because this is the conviction I have. I don't know if we're that serious about it. I don't know if we're that serious about the doctrine of justification or salvation or how one is saved. Your soteriology. How you know, you know, you know when you die, you're with the Lord. I don't know if, how serious we are about that. The reason why I say that is because we have churches all over the place, ours included, that have membership roles where there's, it's, it's inflated with people who we don't even know if they're really saved. And that's an ouch to me as one of the pastors. That should be an ouch to us as members of this church. Do we really care about this doctrine, guys? You hang out at coffee shops, you talk with your friends who profess to believe to be believers, and they start to introduce another means of salvation. Does something happen in our gut? And it's not a matter of who knows more and tantaranness. And Paul and Barnabas aren't trying to pick a fight because they want to see if they're, these guys are more up and up theologically. They care about their souls. And they're teaching these young believers something confusing about their identity. If I have an infant at home, Three-month-old Autumn, if you were to come into my house and start messing with her and confusing her about who's her daddy and who's her mommy, that's a call-out to me. That's, a, that's fighting words. We have to see this spiritually, though. And I think that's the word to us. Like, they are taking this doctrine seriously. Because serious things are at stake 
the salvation of souls. Being weak in the doctrine of salvation or justification is going to mess us up. For builders in the house, because this is a foundational doctrine, if your foundation is all kapakai and shaky, how solid is your building going to be? Not very solid. It'll look sturdy for some time, right? The house that's built on sand. Just wait till the rain and the wind comes. I don't want us to be weak in this church. This is why if you join our church and you want to be a member, there's steps. The first step, the title of the step, am I a Christian? That's it. All we're going to talk about is do you know you're a Christian? And the first thing you're going to, we're going to work on together, what is the gospel? Then the second thing, what's your testimony? Tell me about your conversion. And then the third thing is baptism. We're going to seal it with that symbol. Baptism is going to be an outer expression of inwardly what's going on. And we won't go to step two until step one is good. Why? Because our membership here is not like a club membership where we want your money, your fee, your person to just be here. We're not trying to fill seats. We're not trying to start a movement and get a frenzy going and look cool and hip. I want to know we're saved. Doesn't mention, Luke doesn't give us the juicy details, but I'm going to give you a little scripture slam from Paul's letters. I think this is what Paul would have said in this debate. It would have sounded something like this. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Brother, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man. It's from God. That's Romans 2. He would have said something like this. Okay, look. Paul, I say to you that if, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I'm imagining the debate, Paul and Barnabas. He's talking to the brothers. But I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated. You, you got to keep the whole law then. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves... Eagerly, we wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for nothing. Only faith working through love. Okay, guys, if I, if I were to still preach circumcision, this is maybe Paul and Barnabas in their debate. If I were to keep preaching circumcision like what you're telling them, then why am I still being persecuted? In, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. These are not my words. This is Paul. That's Galatians. Colossians, he would have said, okay, thank you for coming and sharing your teaching. Actually, no thank you. Because here, he would say, here there's no Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But here, Christ is all and in all. That's what, what I think that's what a bit of the debate would have sounded like. A bit of the dissension would have sounded like from the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Guys, Jesus says this in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is saved. No one enters the kingdom except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. Jesus plus no one and nothing. 
There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, when that's the must, that's the mandatory. Why? Because Jesus Christ was sinless and perfect and righteous and holy, and he died the death that we deserve. He is our confidence. No circumcision, no amount of deeds. Oh, when Christ becomes your confidence in your heart, that's when true circumcision is happening. You're cutting away every other means of, of salvation. If there are hearts uncircumcised tonight, much of your motivation for any kind of religious stuff is because you are trying really hard. Whether you profess to be a Christian or not, in your theology and deep down in your core beliefs, you are doing this because you're, you're trying to perform good enough to enter the kingdom of God. And it may be so ingrained in some conscience that you don't even realize it. You need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. Is there anything in there that's grieving you? When will Christ be all in all? That is the circumcision that Paul and Barnabas want all the living to get. And these guys who are coming down saying, no, you need circumcision and law and this and this. No. That's not very good of a gospel, even. That's why it's, it's hard for me to go to a church service and what they're telling me is more stuff to do. More rules and morality that I got to live up to. And then you tell me that it's in me and that I really can do it. I can just will it. From my short 30 plus years on the earth, I've come to find that I can't. My record keeping, my scoreboard, my sticker chart is junk. And it's always been junk. I believe that. That's total depravity. I'm totally unable to save myself. Remember Ephesians 2? You were dead in your sin. So how'd you become a Christian? You didn't do nothing, dead person. Christ made me alive. By grace, you've been saved. I have a question for you souls in the house or online. Hear this. Please, are you wrestling with your salvation this evening? Just be honest. Are you wrestling? Are, like, is there an uncertainty? Are you unsure? Because what they're debating over is the doctrine of what God's word says, how to be saved. And the church, they got to land on this right. They got to they gotta get this. We got to get this. But I'm pleading and I'm crying out to the soul this evening, if you are unsure, and I'm talking to the little ones as well. If someone were to come and tell you that you need to do this or this or that to be saved, what would your reaction be? How would you land? Are you going to be, uh, I, I've talked to so many professed believers, so many that say, I'm kind of Christian, or I think I'm saved. I'm mostly saved. A lot of people have told me that in my lifetime. And the more I see it clearly, that's like, I don't think that's the assurance that God wants his children to be. I don't want my children to be like, I think that's my dad. I, I think I'm son of Chris. No, I don't want Blue to do that. Whee, let's go. Hop in the truck. Blue, that's your dad. Is it? 
is that my dad? No, no, no. Like, I don't know. I don't want, we don't want that. As parents, we don't want our, our children need to know. And intuitively, they begin to know this, right? That's why at your rebirth, you know Christ is Lord. But you need to grow in this grace. You need to grow in this gospel. That's why the Hebrew writer says it's the elementary truths. You know, it's a, we got to keep growing in this grace. This doctrine is just for life. But I fear that there's some here whose Christianity or your walk with the Lord, it's not really being built on that firm foundation. You have built your Christianity on a Jesus that you met at youth camp plus all the things your mom, dad, uncle, auntie, elder have told you to do. And you're frustrated and you're unsure. And when you go to bed at night and when you turn on the news and you see See more death when, you, when it hits, knocks on your door because a tragedy happened in your life, in your sphere. One of your friends got into an accident or another family member passes. Don't wait for those moments to start thinking seriously about this doctrine. Don't. How much more do we need to see? What's our confidence tonight? Guys, we're going to meet our maker sooner, sooner than we realize. Do you think about that day? You're going to be before the king of kings, lord of lords. We're not going to be singing the way we sang tonight. Maybe, but in part, there's going to be this epic just holy moly. Romans 14 says, you and I will give an account. You're going to want to know that you're saved in that moment. Please, I'm begging you, don't wait for tragedy to hit. Don't wait for another person to call you on the phone and said, so-and-so didn't make it. I just did my cousin's funeral memorial the other week, and I really praise the Lord for memorial services. I really love them more than weddings. I've done more weddings than funerals, but I am really coming to a place of realizing that is more home, I think, for me. Not that I want to do more memorials, but when they come, I praise the Lord for that gracious reminder that this is not where it's at. So New Uwanu Baptist Church, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, take seriously the doctrine of salvation. And if you are unsure tonight, and I say this much, and I'm serious, I will sit with you here through, through the moon tonight. And we'll read scripture after scripture until the Spirit of God falls upon us and eyes are open. We ought to do that with each other all the time. James 4.14 says, what is your life? It's a mist. We're here and gone, guys. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And it brought great joy to all the brothers. You notice that? Verse 3, some brothers were stoked. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles, the elders, and they declared the same thing, all that God had done with them. That's the conversion of the Gentiles in verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, no, necessary to circumcise and in order to keep them, to keep the law of Moses. I just want us to see quickly that we talked about this in observation in the church, in the house of faith. 
there's a little bit of a divide on the doctrine of salvation. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding here. Some bros are stoked, and let's continue on. Others are like, ah, oh, I think they got to do more to get saved. There's mixed responses and feelings, and I love that T, uh, T pointed out, but hold on. This doesn't call, cause a rift in the church. So what do they do? This needs to get addressed. It's a big question. It's a big teaching. They're like, oh, where do we land on this? Is it by grace through faith or is it by grace and works? Or what, how do we do this? So look, verse 6, I love it. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. That's beautiful. The church had a learning leadership. Together, Paul and Barnabas could have just been like, we got this. Everybody hush. Okay, this is the answer. Boom, you know. But they didn't do that. I love what Paul and Barnabas do. Let's get all the boys together. Especially the teachers. To consider, to see, to perceive, to discern, to inspect, to examine. Let's look deep into this. When I looked up the word matter in the Greek, that one shocked me because I didn't think it was going to be this word, but it's the word logos. Let's come together and consider the logos. That's beautiful. What is logos? It's the speech word conception, the precepts of the word of God. They all come to this place of like, okay, this is a huge issue because it's dealing with the word of God. How man is reconciled to God. That is everything from Genesis to Revelation. From the first sin, the, the, the biting the fruit of Adam and Eve to the fall, to the promised seed that was promised in verse 15. It's going to crush this enemy, this serpent. The promise that runs all the way through Israel's history, all the way to, through the prophets into the New Testament to where they are, the book of Acts. This is, this is, every, this is the logos. Everybody, get here. This is a business meeting you need to show up at. And we're going to do this together. You know what I love about that? It's because these are the leaders. And they don't have this attitude of, Tantaran, I know everything already. No. I love that even Paul and Barnabas leave space for them to, we'll see later, to, to debate, to discuss the matter. I want us to see this, and we'll close on this. And this is how I want you to pray for me and every other pastor or leader that God raises up in this church. The church had a learning leadership. I want to I give you this insight about Paul, in which I love that he probably, him and the other apostles, really embodied well in this, in this uh, council. 2 Timothy 4.13, at the end of Paul's ministry, he's writing young Pastor Timothy, a letter, and he says this to Timmy. He's like, okay, before you come, can you bring my cloak? That's my really expensive, heavy jacket. That's like jacket slash blanket. That one, cause. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, you know, because I just wasn't packing well when I was getting locked up for prison. I just, I didn't have time to get my bags together. So I left my cloak. Please, Timothy, can you grab it? And then he says this, though. He says, but above all, get the books and the parchments. Get the book and the letters and some paper parchment. Because I know that my, my race is almost pow, and I'm oldie moldy, as Uncle Morris would say. And I'm on my way home. And I'm locked up. They're probably going to execute me soon. But you know, I'm not finished learning. I'm not finished reading. I'm not finished. He, Paul never exuded this attitude of a, 
a know-it-all. And I think this guy with the other apostles, bringing the others in, they just teaching these leaders how to learn. Pray that your leadership here at this church, our leadership at this church, is a teachable leadership. Godly leaders love learning. You young men who tell me you sense a call to the ministry, you better love reading. You better love reading the Bible. You better love Greek. You better love Hebrew. Even if you're a local boy like me who f did terrible in English. Why? Because it's logos. It's the word of God. I love learning. And this was a learning leadership. Paul was a learning man. Jesus said, or was it? Yeah. Or I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned. But you love to reveal them to little keiki, little children. Little children who love circle time, who love story time, right? Guys, one more time, another book, another story, and the parents get exhausted because they love to learn. This is the spirit that we pray our leaders embody and model. They're modeling this well for the church, and I think God's going to be good to them. I mean, I know God's going to be good to them because we can read what, what goes on, but the church is now going to be graced with some really solid godly leadership and counsel next week in the responses. Peter, Paul, James are going to get up, and they're going to share. What we see in this huge verse 6 that they, they didn't just get there. They didn't just say, okay, this is what's, we heard this question. Here's the answer. Okay, dismissed. They had a learning leadership. Let's talk about it. Oh, yeah, uh, brought up Matthias, what you think? You know, like, <laughs> oh, Bar, Bar Jonah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, what you think? You know, I don't know what their names are, but, you know, they had this great epic learning time for the leaders. Also because, again, I just go back, the doctrine of salvation is serious. Brothers, sisters, we're so blessed to have such a rich gospel. Oh, let's protect it. Let's proclaim it. And if God gives us opportunity to rub shoulders with others who may have distorted it or added to it or just have a different, you know, let's work together. Let's talk it out, but let's never compromise or miss or let go of the true gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else. He's our confidence. He's our righteousness. I'm ready to meet my maker. And that is what I will sing and hold up to my dying breath. That is the means in which I'm going to enter eternity. Do we know this? God, help us. Let's pray. There is salvation in no other name. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Eventually, Lord, we will all see clearly that you are the one true God. Jesus Christ. And oh, we pray that you'd help make more sense of this. Let us be a church that grows deeper and deeper into the gospel of Christ. So that we don't just know it intellectually. We don't want, this is not to be brainy, Lord. We want to know you. And oh, when that good gospel takes place in our soul and it truly happens and circumcision of the heart comes to life, you best believe we can't keep quiet.
we will spread it and we will send it and we will share it in love. All of this is grace. So Lord, help us as a church. Give us maturity even and wisdom in how to discuss and debate things, what things are worthy of debate and what things are not worthy of so much. And uh, we're just so thankful that we read in Scripture that the church is a family. It's an ohana. And it's okay to have drama. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to not land in the same areas. And we're going to see more of that through the book of Acts. But on the fundamental things that matter, on the foundations of our faith, oh, Lord, please let us be so unified. Do it in this place. We pray over our business meetings as a church. We pray over all of our small groups and discipleship platforms that we uh, can participate in here. We pray over gatherings like Wednesday service and Sunday service. Lord. We just pray over it all that these would be places where we come together and love doctrine and sure have some debates, but in the end of it all, be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. So do it, Lord, for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.